What's up, everyone? Welcome to Making the Shift. Where we listen to autistic voices, explore new therapy ideas, and share neurodiversity-affirming methods and strengths-based approaches to support autistic kids. Because we're not here to try and, quote, fix kids. We are here to love them, embrace them, and celebrate them for who they are. I'm Jesse Ginsberg, sensory integration trained SLP, founder of a top-rated speech therapy clinic in Los Angeles, and creator of the Inside Out Sensory Certificate for SLPs. And I'm Chris Winger, also known as Speech Dude, high school SLP and creator of the Dynamic Assessment for Social-Emotional Learning. Are you ready to make the shift? Let's do it. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode five of Making the Shift. Good to see you all. Or actually, we can't see you, but good for you to see us. (laughs) (laughs) Nice recovery. Um, That was quick recovery. We're in my office. This is our first time filming this from my office, actually. I like the lighting. I feel like it makes your eyes um, glisten and it makes my t-shirt look okay. There we go. Okay. I kind of feel bad for you, though, because I just am realizing I had onions like an hour ago. Yeah, I didn't say anything about it. Yeah. So you will see if you still love me after this. I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to love this episode. It's a great topic. There's going to be some valuable content that you're going to walk away with. And so without any further ado, well, you know what, before we jump into that, I just want to say last episode, we celebrated Jesse's birthday and it's no longer her birthday. So, um, so there's no celebrations. (laughs) However, we followed it up in the same seven day week with the celebration of Mother's Day, and she is truly the greatest, um, and she also got double the celebration because she had a birthday and Mother's Day, so I think she um, should be in a, such a great mood right you now. You can't call that double the celebration. That's like when a kid has their birthday on Christmas Eve, and you only sell, like, they get to be celebrated twice. Oh, well, I, I don't know that experience, but I agree. There we go. Um, But we're really excited for tonight's topic, which is how to be proactive instead of reactive when it comes to kids' sensory needs. And I should say, we finally figured out how to get our chat working. So if you guys are here, please type in the chat where you're from. We'd love to know. Um, But we're really excited to have that too, because we can hear from you guys while we're on here. I would love that. If if there's a time where you want to chime in, absolutely. I like that interactive stuff. So here we go. We got some people chiming in already. Awesome. We have a Sooner right in the house, right here. I love it. There we go. <laughs> awesome. And Buckeyes. Go Buckeyes. I see this. Oh, we are fun. covering some wine country from mm-hmm. Napa. We've got a Red Sox in the house. We've got um, someone that lives where it's a little bit warm right now. Are you having fun playing yeah. the um, associations game? Yep, is I that love what it, it is? So let's jump into today about how to be proactive instead of reactive with sensory needs. And I feel like I talk about this like a broken record, but every time I bring this up, people are like, I feel that, which is why do we let kids get to the point of dysregulation before helping them? You know, it's like I I use sensory breaks, but I feel like it's often something that's misused because I feel like a lot of people say, Like, oh, this kid's dysregulated. Give them a sensory break, right? They're using it reactively. They're using it to react to dysregulation 
rather than proactively giving them a sensory break because they are trying to prevent sensory overload. Absolutely. I think that is exactly on point when we work with any age student, because, you know, I work with, you know, the older students and it's the same thing. It's like, you know, we tend to have this idea that when they are dysregulated is when we go and quickly intervene without having the foundational stuff. Yeah. And, you know, why this is important and why we bring up sensory and why we talk about it so much is because out of many, many surveys done of autistic adults, up to 95% of autistic adults report they have sensory differences. So that means that if you are a therapist working with autistic kids, if you're a teacher of autistic kids, if you're a parent, if you are autistic yourself, you need to understand sensory processing. This is a huge part of day-to-day life. But for us as therapists, which we haven't talked about yet on this show is why it's so important to be regulated. And the bottom line is that when we are regulated, we are learning. We are able to effectively use our brain. Um, We are able to attend, we're able to engage and communicate. And when we are dysregulated, it is very, very hard to do those things. And we both read the book, The Whole Brain Child. Right, right? yeah, I love that. One of my favorite things I learned in that book, The Whole Brain Child, they break it down very easily, which is they talk about how we have the downstairs brain and the upstairs brain. And the downstairs brain is those automatic reflexive reactions that we have, um, whereas the upstairs brain is where all of our logical thinking and problem solving, all of these higher level skills take place. And they say that when a child is in that state of dysregulation, when they are having those big reactions and feeling dysregulated, it's almost like there's a baby gate that's shut between the downstairs and upstairs brain. They can't even get up there to that place of logical thought because they are stuck in their downstairs brain. Yeah, absolutely. Like following up with that exact you know, idea or analogy, I like to think of it with animals, like in the downstairs brain, it's where the crocodiles live because the crocodiles live under the water, right? They're mean. They'll go fighting at each other. They become dysregulated and they don't think they will fight for hours on end without any cognition. And the upstairs brain is- Isn't that why they call it the reptilian brain or- That's a little bit different. They call that because of the shape. But in the upstairs (laughs) brain, you've got the owl you know, the owls fly. They are always up on the top of things. But what do we know about owls, especially from Winnie the Pooh? They're the wise ones, right? So we don't, when we have the owl activated, it, it, the crocodiles we stay away from, but sometimes our brains get down by the crocodiles. So I like to do activities with students and show them, you know, a, a variety of videos like, okay, what's going on in this scene? Is that, are they hanging out with the crocodiles? Or are they up with the, with the owls? Oh, okay. So crocodiles, that's good. Yeah. Crocodiles under the water, owls in the sky, crocodiles reaction. Your owl is not owls and kicked in your, your brains. You're not wise when you're downstairs hanging out the, the crocodiles. So it's like, Hey, you just lost a game at Fortnite. Where's your brain going to be? And they always say downstairs with the crocodiles. I'm like, yep. And let's talk about sensory strategies so we can get back to being regulated. Cause I like to hang out with Mr. Al. <laughs> yeah. They say that the 
downstairs brain allows you to act before you think, right? Because it's those reflexive responses. It's like when we smell smoke and then we have that immediate fear, it's like that gut feeling um, that something's wrong, right? Whereas the upstairs brain, brain allows us to think before we act, which, you know, a lot of people could use help with. Right. Yeah, no, still. absolutely. But it's not that. I think it's coming in from outside maybe. But um, one analogy I wanted to share is something that I use a lot with parents and therapists, which is this idea of a sensory seesaw. And you guys might have heard me talk about this before. But it's if you picture a child sensory processing as a seesaw, when they are balanced in a balanced state of regulation, the seesaw is flat and balanced and the child is in what I call their optimal learning zone. Whereas when they start to get dysregulated, it's like the seesaw is starting to tip and tip and tip. And one of the things I see most commonly in therapy is that we as SLPs don't even know how to address dysregulation. So when we see that seesaw starting to, to tip, when we see those signs of dysregulation, what do we do? We just keep going. Right. We're like, I don't know what else to do. I'm just going to keep targeting my speech goals. But I am constantly just having that picture in my head of um, when the seesaw is starting to tip, our job is not to just continue on. Our job is to try to bring that kid back to center. So the question is, you know, in terms of being proactive, what does that look like when kids start to tip? Because there are definitely kids where you start to learn them and you see these subtle signs, but do you, would you agree that you have kids where you're like, Oh my God, that felt like it came out of nowhere. Yeah, absolutely. That, that, that happens more times than not. It's like, wait a minute here. And I was going to say in our home with our kids, yeah, with my fiance, like, <laughs> just kidding. I feel like sometimes it's like, what? Oh, I just asked you if you want cereal for breakfast. Like, why is your body on the ground? Right. Yeah. <laughs> but um, that's so funny because it makes me think about like how we just talked about this the other night, how a parent's state of regulation so much affects a child's or you could just say adult, you know, because maybe leading up to that, do you want cereal? I had been like flustered and already on edge and then yeah. it just caused the reaction. But Right. Um, I agree. I think it's the role of the caregiver, the therapist to share their calm, right? We hear that. I've heard that quote. I can't remember. I think it's J.R. Noel that it's like, it's not our job to join in their chaos. It's our job to share our calm. And yeah. I just think that hits home with, with so many things as well. Yeah. So when it comes to being proactive and what we can do, I like to break this up into three, I call them buckets, but it's like, there are different things that we can do. And I think there's this huge misconception that sensory is like just one thing. It's like, oh, he needs to go on the swing or I need a sensory bin. I don't know. I just feel like people have these ideas of what sensory looks like. So thinking about it in terms of these three different buckets can help you start to figure out, okay, child's dysregulated. I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. So um, I'll, I'll name those three and then we could get into them. But the first one is sensory strategies. And then the second is environmental modifications. And then the third is adjustments to their routines. And the reason I wanted to talk about this other than the 
you know, obvious, this will help you immensely, is that between the two of us, you know, I've primarily focused on younger kids, whereas you, Chris, is primarily focused on older. So it's kind of interesting to see the way that maybe these strategies change as kids get older or the focus changes. A little bit. Yeah. We can, we can we'll talk about that shift yeah. too and dynamic. So, um, you know, in terms of sensory strategies, generally speaking, and you will definitely see overlap with these things. Sometimes I think it's kind of feels like a gray area. Um, but with sensory strategies, when I think of sensory strategies, I basically think of things that the child is actively doing or participating in. So maybe that is going on the swing. Maybe that is, um, you know, doing wall push-ups to get in some heavy work. Maybe that's you tickling the child if they enjoy it and they want it um, to increase their level of arousal. And I was just thinking about... Um, you used to have like exercise equipment in your classroom. Right. Our district um, ended up for each campus ordering a couple of different types of exercise equipment, which served as a purpose um, with the idea of having a sensory room on each campus. But that didn't move into actually having a sensory room. So we used them in some of the classrooms that um, supported our, our kids. So we still have them. But yeah, we have a treadmill. We have um, a bike. The treadmill is great for those kids with the low arousal. So that way we can bring them back up. It's like, hey, jump on the bike over there. Let's listen to some some upbeat music, some ACDC. Let's watch a, a YouTube video that's more upbeat. I mean, there's a variety of things, but the exercise stuff has been really helpful for the, the, the sensory strategies. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, you know something that I was on a... <laughs> on a team call the other day and it was just crazy. I know this family well, luckily, so it wasn't a big deal, but I was in the car with you were driving, all of our kids were in the car, but I was like, I have to be on this call. I never get to talk to the whole team. I'm not missing this. And, um, you know, one of the one-on-one -on -one therapists that was working with my kid was on the call and talking about how um, when the, when the girl gets dysregulated in class, um, she has her, you know, continue to do some work and like essentially like work for, um, sensory fidgets. So I think the therapist was so proud, like to tell me, Hey, look, we're using these sensory fidgets. But I was like, Oh, it was, you know, in my head and I'll tell you why, <laughs> um, <laughs> And I think I said like very kindly, um, and this is what made me think of it. Someone just wrote in the chat that being proactive takes so much unlearning and relearning. Um, so what I said to this team was, I would love to reframe this for you. You know, let's think about giving her these sensory fidgets as she needs them, right? Our goal isn't to teach kids like you have to get through this activity and then you will be rewarded with regulation. You know, it's what do we have to provide the child throughout this activity so that they stay regulated the whole time. And for a girl like that and a lot of other kids I work with, just having access to fidgets and things like that at their desk can make a huge difference in their ability to attend in the classroom. So 
um, yeah, just really, it is relearning and it is helping people to reframe something that they've previously seen in a completely new perspective. Um, so yeah, I think sensory strategies is kind of that main one that people just automatically go to. So we definitely wanted to talk about the other two, which is environmental modifications and adjustments to routines. Mm-hmm. Um, there are so many ways we can modify our environment. And that could be light covers for a child who's sensitive to light. It could be, um, I've heard that these Apple AirPods, the noise canceling ones are life changing for people. So being able to wear noise canceling headphones um, to because that's going to decrease the sound in the environment. Um, those things. What was the thing in the ear? Um, ear loops. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Great memory on that. Um, they're called loop ears. You guys have to definitely look into these. I think they're forty dollars. Um, I don't get paid for saying this, by the way. But yeah, they're great because what they do for the students is they run flush with the air, but they can change out the decibel level. So if you like, for me, I have I work at a high school. So for students throughout their day that experience different levels of noise, you might have a student who um, has some sensory needs to the air conditioning unit so they can put in their 15 decibel things. It literally just pop right out, runs flush. But if we have a rally or a sports event and there's 1,500 students inside watching the cheerleaders and people dance, the noise levels up and it cranks way up so they can put in a 30 decibel um, thing. So they can change it throughout the day with just, it takes two seconds. They run flush. They, kids all love them. I'm a huge fan for um, everybody. You know, I talk to my students about what are your auditory sensory needs. And a lot of them say, well, <laughs> when my family member's vacuuming at the house, I can't stand it. So I have to put the pillow over my head. I'm like, oh, you need those loop ears, yeah. man. And auditory sensitivity, auditory defensiveness is one of the most common types of sensory differences in autistic kids in general. Um, so that can definitely help. And that makes me, that kind of leads into the adjustments to routines because it's the same thing as do they have to be at those rallies in the first place, right? Or like those big gatherings. Right. And that comes down to the self-advocacy piece mm-hmm. for a variety of things. Me, me being working in the schools, we'd have the accommodations to support sensory needs, but we also want to teach the kids to advocate for themselves, you know, rather than um, it coming from somebody else in an email or an IEP at a glance or whatever. We teach the students, hey, um, the rally has a lot of people. I don't do great around big groups of people because of my sensory needs. It gets really loud. Is there a place that I can go during the rally where it's quiet and calm? Maybe I can jump on a Chromebook. Maybe I can read a book or whatever the needs are. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And a really good piece of advice I got once from a preschool director was that um, that the it was a really overstimulate. It's a very stimulating environment dropping a kid off at preschool, right? There's kids all over, so many parents, so many noises, unpredictable kids moving around, sounds. And I remember the preschool director saying, like, we would love for him to be dropped off 10 minutes early. Like, instead of the parents waiting until the very last second to drop them off, drop them off at the beginning of the morning before everyone gets there. So then 
they are already there and already settled by the time everyone else starts coming in. And I thought that was interesting. I'm not saying that worked for everyone, but it's a cool thought that never came to me. No, I love that. You know, it's even an, an adjustment in routine can be something such as going off of whatever was initially planned to meet the needs of the, the kids, the students that you're working with. I like to get outdoors. Like I know that um, sometimes weather doesn't permit in certain places, but um, if you get an opportunity, nature bathing, not the kind of nature bathing you do when you're on spring break in Cancun. <laughs> nature bathing is you're going outside and you're absorbing all parts of your sensory. So like we did that last night, we went to the beach, the little baby was picking up the sand. So he's getting that tactile sense. I mean, we've got the sun setting. So you're hitting the end of the rainbow. You've got the um, you know, you've got the purplish looking glow of the sun. You've got the um, sounds of the wind glistening. You've got the smell of the harbor. I mean, you are just really doing great with nature bathing. Yeah, that's interesting. That's I'm going to go nature bathing after this. I never know what's going to come out of his mouth. And then that, I'm going bathing. That's not going to be the first or last time you hear me say <laughs> that. Um, but there is just so much we can do when it comes to sensory strategies, adjustments to routines, environmental modifications so many things, but I think like those are just three ways to start thinking about it or putting it into buckets in your brain. Because if you see a dysregulated child, you start thinking about those three buckets, there might actually be more things that you can do. And, you know, with that, we have, I say we, I don't mean you, me, my, me and my team, we have an upcoming free sensory SLP masterclass, which is on May 20th. It's a one-time class. And I will put a link in the description of the show um, so that you guys can join because it is free. So if you guys want to come and take advantage of getting to learn a lot more strategies, we would love to have you there. And we should let them go. Yeah. You know what? Thank you so much for chiming in. As always, we value your time and we hope that you um, gathered some information and some tidbits for tonight. Um, we encourage you to use some of those things when you work with your clients and students. Yeah. And um, go ahead and keep commenting on this video. If you can think of other things that you're going to try to use that would help other people too, I'm sure it would be very helpful. So have a great night, everyone. Thank you so much for being here. Adios. If you enjoyed today's episode, hit subscribe, write a review, or share it with a friend. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.